I think it's completely unfair to do that to these players because at the end of the day, saying a person or a player is not a winning player is just easy. And easy is not good. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Kenny Beecham Podcast. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, we're about a quarter of the way through the NBA season. It feels weird to say because I, I feel like we're just getting started, but about a quarter of the way through the year. And I thought, let's start a little tradition. My favorite segment on this show is the hashtag AskKB. It's a way for me to talk to y'all, the viewers, the listeners, and answer your questions. We're doing a mailbag, y'all. The entire episode is hashtag AskKB questions. So if you want to be incorporated in the next episode or the next mailbag, all you have to do is go to X or go into the comment section of these episodes, use the hashtag, and I will try to answer as many of those questions as I can. We got some good ones from looking at the Clippers now that they have a bigger sample size, talking about in-season tournament, the teams that should be making the next trade, which middle of the pack team can contend with what move. There are a lot of different questions that are fun in today's episode. I want to say if you are on YouTube, be sure to leave it a like, subscribe, tell a friend and tell a friend. Yeah. And they're looking for NBA coverage, NBA opinions. This is a show. This is a show for the maybe, maybe at least give them an opportunity to listen. I, I'm, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I, I recognize that, you know what I'm saying? But because of not only just this show, but because of the support that y'all have shown, I was featured in a complex list, the 25 most entertaining people in sports media which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And, and I don't know if I can spoil the rest of the list, but I will say majority of the people that are on that list have been doing sports media for decades, have been grinding it out for years and years and years. So the fact that I am on that list, though it, it is at the bottom of the list, it's just a testament to the support that y'all have showed because it don't matter how entertaining you could potentially be if nobody's listening or nobody's watching. So I just want to say I appreciate y'all. I am extremely excited about what the future holds for just not just just the show, but just the entirety of my coverage of the sport. So, so thank you. Tell a friend and tell a friend, five stars, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. I'm there, baby. Are we ready to get into our first episode? Oh, also we're trying something new towards the end of the episode. Y'all have heard producer Greg before. He, he, he's had his own segment to, the, to an extent. We're going to react to some of his hot takes because he's not just a producer. He's an NBA fanatic as well. So I just want to hear some of his hot takes and we'll react to them. That's towards the end of the show. Let's get into it. The first question comes from Hoodie Bev. Hashtag AskKB. After this increased sample size, what is your opinion on the Clippers and their ceiling? Right. So, of course, they made the James Harden trade earlier in the year, and they got off to a horrific, horrific start. Where they started off the season 0-6, and one of those six losses was against the Memphis Grizzlies. And, hey, Memphis fans, you, what, you got four more games left before John Moran is back? I, listen, this is a, a, a off-topic already, but, hell, this is a mailbag. I don't need to be on topic. The fact that the Grizzlies still have a top 10 defense with the record that they have is a testament to Jaron. I know he was our DPOY last season. He's kind of getting lost in the shuffle because Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis are at the top of the list as they should be. Jaron has been able to hold them down without players like Dylan Brooks, without players like Steven Adams defensively. They're top 10 at the moment. I'm just saying, when John Morant comes back, the offense should be, be better because we're start talking about a star offensive player. I'm just saying that the season is not over for the Grizzlies. Do I expect them to take a big jump? I don't know. But the season is not completely over because the defensive, uh, it's, it's the, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Infrastructure is still there. And then John Moran is coming back. But anyway, 
0-6, and one of those games was against the Memphis Grizzlies where it was really bad. I think it was like a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. I remember I'm like, bro, I don't know what's going on. But since then, they're 8-3. Eight and, three, eight and three. They're 7-3 in the last 10. They got some quality wins over people like the Warriors, the Denver Nuggets, and so on and so forth. And now this team that I looked at when they're 0-6 starts, now I obviously did not believe that they were going to go winless <laughs> in the James Harden era, but things were not very pretty. And Tyron Lue did ask us to give him a 10-game sample size. Hell, we got a lot more than 10 games, and it's looking a lot, a lot better. The mo the thing I'm most interested in, because Tyron Lue still hasn't figured it out, right? They're able to win these games, but he's still experimented quite a bit. One of the things um, that he's completely got rid of is the James Harden solo minutes, right? Early in the tenure, the six-game loser streak, we saw lineups where it was James Harden and the rest of the bench. It was Norm Powell. It was, it was sometimes Zubac. It was Mason Plumlee before he went down with this injury. And it was like, hey, James Harden is the player that we know he can be. You give him four ram random role players and they could go out there. They could score the best of him. And that wasn't really the case. He gave it, what, 30, 40 minutes on the season before he completely got rid of it. And he came to the realization. It's like, hey, we have a lot of star talent where we should never really have a time where one of them is out there by themselves. So now they're pairing James Harden minutes with some of the other guys and it's working a lot better. This is how you know things are looking good. And you're going to, you asked me about their ceiling and that's the thing I'm still worried about a little bit, but let, let's talk about it. When you look at their three stars, because shout out to Russell Westbrook, I'm not including him in the stars thing because he's a he's a role player at this point of his career. We look at their stars of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and James Harden together. Now we have a sample size big enough to really look at the numbers, right? They have a 121 offensive rating. That's pretty good. And the lineups with those three players are on a 121 offensive rating is great. And the defensive rating of 109. That is pretty damn good for these guys hooping together. So it's, there, it, there's some good signs. And I know they're winning basketball games. That's also a good sign. But the fact that Tyron Lewis it, it abandoned the solo star thing and is allowing them to run in pairs, he also decided that we should never see James and Russell on the court together for the most part. Now, he did say basketball is basketball, and sometimes you got to adjust on the fly. But his coaching philosophy is now... James is going to run a unit and Russ is going to run a unit. And we're seeing that and we're seeing that be successful. There was a stat in their last game, which I think it was against the Utah Jazz. I want to say I didn't watch this entire game, but Kawhi Leonard was cooking. And in this and the Kawhi Leonard era with the Clippers, when Kawhi scores over 30 points, they are 40 and 11. Doesn't that feel like a that, that is a 78.4 win percentage? That's insane. And the Kawhi that is scoring 30 points per game regularly, we haven't seen a bunch. And I have I, I came onto the show, uh, or whether it be on my other podcast, whatever, I, I don't know. I got so many NBA opinions. I don't know why I'm giving them out. Where I was like, I'm, I'm slightly, and I just say slightly, worried about Kawhi Leonard. Now, if we're putting it on a full scale of 10, oh my God, I, I don't know what to do, versus zero, it was like in a three. I was about a three. Because it, as, as cool as it has been to see him play pretty much every single game, it feels as though we haven't really seen the Terminator version of Kawhi that we're used to really seeing. Now, part of that could potentially be like, hell, I know who I am. I know my body. I can't go 100% for 82 games. I'm going to give it 85% and then let that other 15% come, come playoff time. And then these last couple games, I'm like, oh, okay, that is the Kawhi I remember. Whether it be against uh, the Jazz um, in the game before that, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank of their game before that, but they had two back-to-back -back games where Kawhi Leonard looked like the best version of himself. So I'm feeling a little bit more confident in that. That 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 little meter that was at a three is now like at a 1.5 because I feel like, again, he's not coasting by any means, but he wasn't putting together his best basketball. Now you're probably looking at them saying, hell, 
You're only slightly above 500. You can't give 85% if that's going to get you in the play-in. The play-in is the one spot that I believe the Clippers need to avoid completely. They need to end up in this top six because as good as they have been, they're not a set in stone, we need to win one game or we're going home type team just yet. They haven't showed me that. But if they can stay above water and be in that top six, this is a very, very interesting team. The ceiling, though, is very, very hard to determine. I think that there's parity in the NBA, right? There's parity in the association. So like, with that being said, this is a team, when you look at the star players, you look at how well they've played together as of recent, I would be kind of crazy to say that they have a second round exit ceiling because I think a lot of it has to do with matchups. There are going to be some teams they match up very, very well to with their perimeter defense, their three-point shooter, and the playmaking of James. They're going to match up well against certain teams, and there's going to be other teams that they don't match up well against. And I think we might see this year a run of a team. You're like, man, I didn't think that they was that good. But they got favorable matchups, and I think that the Clippers have a few teams in the top 11 that are competing that I see that they're favorable over. So if you're asking me their ceiling, I'm going to say they're a, a team that at the absolute best can make a conference finals push. I wouldn't necessarily predict that to be the case, but again, you're asking me the ceiling, and I think that's where they, they kind of sit. Maybe more games, another 10-game sample size can make me change my opinion in one way or another. But I'm enjoying Clippers basketball as of recent. And, and I think that was that was something I was not saying, what, a month ago. The next question comes from Young Simba. Shout out to my guy. When is it time to consolidate assets for a star? So should teams like the Pacers, Magic, and Thunder look to trade for a star or continue building what they have? Very good question. For y'all that don't know, that's my guy, a Young Simba. He is a Indiana Pacer fan. So he he threw in a little question about his favorite team. Actually, I'm looking at Hoodie Bev. I want to say Hoodie Bev is based on Patrick Beverly, which makes me think that he, this that guy was also a Clippers fan. Hell, this is the way it works. People ask questions specifically about their favorite team. I'm not going to knock it because if I was listening to a show, I would want to hear people talk about my team as well. So when is the time to consolidate assets for a star? I think a lot of it is dependent on a bunch of different things, right? One of them is, is the market, right? I cannot remember. Maybe y'all in the comment section or on Twitter or whatever can hit me up and let me know. I cannot remember the last time we've seen a star get traded out of nowhere. And I mean completely out of nowhere, right? We always see the writing on the wall. We always see the rumors of a player's unha unhappy, may have uh, soft-launched the trade requests like Zach Levine. But for the most part, we're talking about star-level players. We have an idea. The timing of it might be weird, but like, Kevin Durant requested a trade the summer before he was traded. So we knew it was in the back of his mind that he eventually wanted out of Brooklyn. Or James Harden, obviously, you know the way he do get done. But like, we, we rarely see the superstar or the super big trade happen without us really knowing. I guess the last one I could really think about off the top of my mind is like Paul George in the middle of the night getting traded to the Clippers, a part of the Kawhi Leonard thing. Like that was one. But then also they were, to the, the writing was on the wall that they were going to go different directions, right? They were going to trade Russell Westbrook too. So I just, I think that the market determines a ton of it where you can't really consolidate your assets for a star if a star is not really available. It's, it's rare that we see a team just throw out a crazy, crazy offer for a player that we didn't even know was on the market. So, so the market really dictates the timing of things because a team like the Pacers, the Magic, and the Thunder, there's no really consolidation of assets if there's no star that really fit what they're, what they're trying to do. Now, when you talk about these young teams, 
There, they have been years where we've seen a young, successful team, but a consolidation trade doesn't matter because the parity level was at an all-time low. If you're thinking about the Kevin Durant years, we're thinking about the Heedle years, or even just LeBron's era in, <laughs> in Cleveland, where the parity wasn't very high. So why do I think that as the team, the smaller market team that is young, why should I make a big-time splash when I know no matter what trade I do, we're not competing with Miami, we're not competing with the Golden State Warriors, so we're just going to look at the infrastructure that we have. That's the second time I've used that word today, by the way. Um, we're going to look at the people that we have and we're just going to let them grow by themselves and wait until their other team's era in and then we're going to do it. Now, there is no team, in my opinion, that is head and shoulders unbeatable in the association. I got my favorites. I think the Boston Celtics are really good for a playoff series against pretty much any team in basketball. I still believe in the Denver Nuggets. Even though recently, there's been some cracks. There's been some cracks in that armor, man. There's been some cracks in that armor. Jokic just had two of his worst games I've ever seen in his MVP era, right? In his MVP era. If you look at his rookie season, sophomore season, I didn't care about that. But he had his worst shooting night against the Clippers. Shout out to Zubac and, and uh, Daniel Tice for that. And then he had another game against the Houston Rockets where he struggled super heavily too. And uh, yeah, the team is at the, our defending champion looks good, but they don't look unbeatable, right? I, I still would probably put them as my number one team out West, but it, it ain't like... I would be super surprised if some other team does it. So right now, since we have the parity, this is a this is a very interesting time because if you are the Pacers, the Magic, or the Thunder, there's not many teams. As if you're the general manager of the team, you're like, well, if we make a move right now, we still don't feel like we still don't feel like we have it. So the market matters. The the next thing that matters to me is how far are you away from paying the young core that you have. Right, you think about the Orlando Magic, Paolo Bencaro's on in year number two, Franz Wagner's white in year number three. Those are the two big building blocks. Everything around them, like you have your pieces like Jalen Suggs, where you feel really good about. You have your other pieces here and there, but those are the two building blocks that are completely, completely untouchable in pretty much every single trade. You're quite a ways away from having to pay both of those players. So we can kind of afford to go trade for a max contract player right now because we don't have to think about going into the luxury tax anytime soon. The Indiana Pacers are such an interesting team because they are a young team for sure, but their young team is a lot different than like a Magic or the Thunder where these are teams that went through a few years, at least, of being towards the bottom. I mean, the Thunder put off the biggest trade, one of the best trades in, like, recent NBA history. But obviously, they got Chet. They got Giddy. These are top five-ish picks, and even J-Dub, you know, in the lottery as well. The Pacers been able to do it from, like, let's make a really good trade here. Let's trade for Tyrese Halliburton. Let's trade for Obi Toppin. Let's trade for Aaron Neesmith. And people laughed at us because they thought that we just gave away a guy for, for nothing. So they've been able to build it just a, a little bit differently. So when you think about paying the Pacers, core. I mean, like, Miles Turner already got paid. Tyrese is about to get paid next season. Like, he's got, he signed the money, but the three, $300 million, whatever, $230 million don't kick in to next season. So you don't really have to worry about that for them necessarily. Um, and, and the last thing is, do you have that guy on your roster already, right? One thing I feel like a lot of teams are afraid to do when they're making that big-time trade is sacrificing the, the future for the now in the sense that Let's say there's a Pascal Siakam's on the market, right? I don't know if that's the star, but he's one of the guys that could potentially get moved. If I am a team like, if I am a team like the Pacers, I'm like, hell, I, we like what Aaron Neesmith is doing. We like what Obi Toppin is doing. Now, they might not ever turn into the player that Pascal Siakam is, but there might be a slim chance. So should we consolidate to get a guy in Pascal Siakam who's about 30 when we have two 24 and younger players that play that same position that is at least decent right now? I believe that a team like the Magic can wait. 
They can wait. They don't need to go out and make the consolidation trade just yet because I still believe there are people on their roster they still haven't completely figured out who they are or how they fit on their team. Like, I don't, I still don't know what to think about Wendell Carter as the center of the team. Even though he was one of my most intriguing players coming into the season, I don't know where he stands as the future of the Orlando Magic. I don't know where the younger guys, because if you're going to make the consolidation trade, you're going to trade some of those super young dudes. So like Anthony Black, Jet Howard, the list goes on and on. I still want to see where those players are. And if we can do that while simultaneously staying competitive, we're okay with it. Right. Unless again, unless the market says this guy that's perfect for what we're trying to do is available, then we do it. Now, a team like the Thunder and the Pacers, it's a little bit different. Right. Wolves came out to report about the Pacers that they're recruiting like Tyrese Halliburton is trying to get people to come to Indiana, which is dope. Right. We don't really see that in smaller market teams where it's a guy that is true to the city that was like, man, come play with me. And Tyrese Halliburton showed us over the year and a half sample size, about two year sample size that he's going to help you get paid. He's got, he plays such an unselfish brand of basketball that you never really have to think about, oh, am I ever going to get my touches? Because he is as self unselfish as it gets. So it's going to be very interesting to see these next couple years of the Indiana Pacers. Can they somehow convince a free agent to sign there or will they have to make the trade? And I think that's one of the bigger questions with the Pacers because they talk about big wings, right? That was one of the things that Wolves kept talking about, big wings. And obviously, Ojan Anobi is a guy that might be on the market. But also, he's a free agent this year. Do we believe that we can somehow get a meeting with OG Ananobi as a smaller market team? Or do we have to trade for him now and try to give him a half a season, three-fourths of the season, and sample size on the team for him to re-sign? That is a question because we have seen trades before where um, you, you trade for a player on the last year of the contract thinking that they're going to be a part of the future and they chuck up the deuces and now the picks and the stuff that you traded away to get them are gone and you no longer have the player. That's like a worst-case scenario. But because the Thunder are so damn good, like borderline contending type team, the consolidation trade makes makes sense to me, especially when I watch. And this is, again, all, everything I'm talking about is coming from my perspective as a guy that's not watching every single minute of your favorite team. So, OKC Thunder fans, are you out there like, Kenny, you, you bugging? This is from my perspective of watching them. And I watched a lot of OKC. And somehow they played against the Warriors again. And it was a great game. It was a great game. When I'm watching them and seeing them close out games with players like Isaiah Joe versus Josh Giddy, and I think about the value that Josh Giddy could potentially have to another organization, and you talk about the core, uh, Shea Holmgren is posting those pictures of him, J-Dub, and Shea. Josh Giddy don't even get a slide. He ain't in none of those pictures because he's not on the court when it matters the most. But he's also young enough where, I could, where other teams can convince themselves if we are trading a young star player away, Josh Giddy could be our, our building block. I know there's a lot of things revolving around him, but he could be one of our building block pieces because right now, not really guarding him. And, and Coach Mark Daynall even talked about this in one of his presses. Like, he feels honored that they're guarding them that way because that just means that the, everybody else on the team, their offense is just humming, that they have to see different, different looks and things like that. So if I'm the Thunder, when you think about the draft capital and everything, I would be willing to make that consolidation trade. But again, you don't want to just make the trade to make the trade. There has to be a player that really fits what you want to do. And I have a guy in mind. I don't know how realistic it is. But Larry Markin and being on the OKC Thunder is like a match made in heaven to me. I honestly do believe that he brings a ton of things that they could really, really need. He's a guy that has showed throughout the course of his career that he can he can get his buckets without having the ball a lot. Even his last year's season where he was as efficient as ever, he wasn't putting the ball on the floor a ton. He was just getting his buckets. 
And when you look at the first, what, five years of his NBA career, he's okay with not being the guy. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So he would bring a lot of stuff um, offensively and defensively. I think he's become a pretty decent defender, especially in the help. So I would like to see that, but we don't know if Larry Markin is available. Then again, Danny Ainge loves to make trades. And you have 17 first-round picks. Maybe he is. Maybe maybe OKC is going to be one of the first teams in a while that makes someone available because of the package that they put together is so crazy. Um, and the Pacers are another team that I would be um, saying like, yeah, let's consolidate. Has to fit. It has to fit. It would be OG Ananobi for me, looking at the current market. But uh, there is no real answer to your question, young Simba, but uh, there, there's a lot of different factors. The next one comes from Ben. Ben has been on the show, what, three different times at this point? He's all-time great questioner, qu question giver. Do you think we're going to ever get to the point where we can, where we stop labeling guys non-winning players as much as it happens now? I feel like the NBA is the worst in a major American sports when it comes to labeling guys, especially young guards, losing players, even though so much of winning is on the shoulders of coaching and teammate cohesion. Um, I, I do not believe that we'll ever get away from it. Should we? Yeah. Yeah, we should. But I don't think it's ever going to happen because it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to say a player is not, not a winning player because you could just look at this and say, that, hey, that brother ain't got no rings. That brother ain't got no crazy playoff performance. So he, by nature, is not a winner. Which is just always blows my mind because like you mentioned in this, Ben, there are so many different factors to winning a championship. And it's such a team sport. I know we have people that absolutely dominate that feel like it's a one-man team. It's not. I have, a, I have not seen a championship that was won by a single player. Now, I've seen championship games won by players, but as far as entire seven-game series, doesn't happen. You'll never hear me say this person is a non-winning player because there's so much that goes into even having that. People, these young guys get drafted to teams that are actively trying to lose for the first three, four years of their career. Jalen Green right now has a title of a not a winning player, and I feel like it is unfair. What is he not a winning player because he takes difficult shots and because he hasn't been on a winning team? Look at the rosters he's had throughout the course of his career. Almost any player that you draft in that situation are going to be titled not a winning player. So it's unfair to Jalen. And what are we seeing right now? Oh, my God. He's got a competent coach. He's got a competent team around him. Huh. And they're winning basketball now to 500 teams, slightly above 500 teams. I, wanna, I don't want to act like they're winning championships. But you see what having good coaching can do. They're one of the three best defensive teams in basketball right now. Good coaching. The personnel's got better around him. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, I think it's completely unfair to do that to these players because a lot of the times they're coming into situations that like are just going to make them not winning players. You know? Now, if they get on team number five, number three, number four, and things are still looking a little bit rough, maybe you had a conversation. But even then, it feels disingenuous to me. At the end of the day, saying a person or a player is not a winning player is just easy. And easy is not good. It's not, it's not good basketball talk if your, your, I don't know, arguments are easy to say. Oh, this guy has zero rings in a 15-year career. Not, not a winning player. Mm, can we can we look at the history of this player's career? Can we can we see the different circumstances on the teams he was on, the situations in which he got eliminated from the playoffs? You know, I don't like the the title, uh, Ben, and I don't think we'll ever get away from it. But we could do our best by not adding to the to the fire. You know, next one comes from DJ. If salary and years were not capped, 
which current NBA player would get the largest guaranteed contract and for how long? Uh, example is Shohei Otani. Also, um, actually, let's just look at the first part because he wanted to go historically. I think I think we can just live in today. So shout out to DJ. Um, Shohei Otani, what the heck? 10 years, 700 million with the Dodgers. Uh, when, it, when, the, uh, when it got announced, my response was no. And people thought that I was saying that from the perspective of a White Sox fan. Brother, I don't even know if the White Sox will be here in seven years. They're meeting with Nashville and stuff. I was saying no. Because don't the Dodgers got enough, man? And you know what's crazy about this? Because Shohei is such a likable guy, and because I enjoy watching Mookie Betts play baseball, by nature, I'm going to start liking the Dodgers. Now, I'm going to be very far away from being a Dodgers fan. I'm a White Sox fan to, to heart, to the depth of me. Well, no, actually, no. If they move to Nashville, I'm a free agent. The hell? The hell? Why would I follow that team? And I'm not going to the Cubs either. But because they have so many likable players, I'm like, man, you got me. $700 million. And I can't act like I've been super heavy on the Otani watch, right? I've been keeping up a little bit as far as the New York teams being interested in Toronto being interested. Drake showed up or posted on Instagram and him in a Blue Jays jersey and Otani on the back. And I honestly do believe that's the reason why the Toronto Blue Jays did not get Otani. The hell are you doing, Drake? What do you, that's your former recruiting? A thirst trap on Instagram stories? Relax. He said, you know what? I'm going to say it, Cali. Um, back to your original question. Um, which current NBA player would get the largest guaranteed contract and for how long? The first name that came to mind when I read this question was Giannis. You got to look at it from the perspective of a smaller market team. Giannis is a guy that was drafted by them from Greece when he was such a raw prospect. He grows, grows up in Milwaukee basically into an MVP, to an NBA champion, and so on and so forth. There's not many bigger cases to give somebody the biggest bag in NBA history than Giannis, especially when he was saying that he was a little bit worried about the future of the team. Now, I was thinking, like, how far are we away from a player signing a contract in this world? And part of the contract is equity in the, in the, in the business, in the organization. Like, I feel like that exists in some other leagues around, around the world. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some, some soccer stuff. Does Kylian Mbappe own part of PSG? I don't know. I would have to Google it. But that, that, feels, that feels like I'm saying it and it might be right. So if you are the Milwaukee Bucks, you drafted this guy who, again, is not slowing down anytime soon, it feels like. I am willing to give him however many million dollars he wants plus part of the company. So he, he is incentivized to stay here forever because his success means the business success means it's his success again. Now, I know there's probably rules against that, <laughs> obviously, but that is the first player that came to mind. Obviously, Braun is another one um, when you think about him going to the Lakers. And I'm not talking about current Braun at 39, but like when he first got to the Lakers, he would have been a guy that's like, hell, here is all the money in the world. Because we, we don't believe that you just come into L.A. to make movies because y'all remember people were saying that. Y'all remember when people were saying that, that Braun just signed L.A. because he wanted to be in Space Jam 2, that he wanted to be in Trainwrecked. I remember people saying that. Then he got that jewelry pretty fast. Um, but those are the guys. Steph Curry is another one, right? Because before, before Steph Curry, I, I want y'all to think about, if you were around, what the Warriors were pre-Steph Curry. They were a team with a rabid fan base, and I mean that as a compliment, right? They, the Oracle was real. 
But for the most part, they were towards the bottom of the league in the respect factor. Nobody was going against the Warriors thinking like, oh, man, we got to get up for this game. And Seth Curry came in, uh, turned into the player that he is now. And now the Golden State Warriors are one of the more uh, financially lucrative organizations in the entire world, or at least American sports. That is the house that Steph Curry built. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So there was another team to give a crazy, crazy offer to an individual player is Steph Curry. And my mind always goes to these single team guys because they were they were there when it was rough. Like Milwaukee was really, really rough pre-Giannis. The Warriors are really, really rough pre-Steph Curry. And yeah, if we talk about the next chapter, the, the young stars, Dallas will do everything in their power to get Luka to stay. And he ain't even, I don't even want to act like he's even acting like uh, he's thinking about moving here or there. But they would do everything in their power to get Lucas stay. 700 ends for 10 years. Because, look, you asked me about how long of a contract to, it's probably harder to give Giannis a 10-year contract considering he's about to be 30 soon, right? But Luca, at his, at his uh, young old age of 23, 24, that 10-year contract ain't bad. You know, it wouldn't be bad. Didn't Magic Johnson sign like a 20-year contract with the Lakers? The NBA was like, hold on, that is, <laughs> that is not it. Um, but yeah, I, I would go Giannis, Steph Curry, and then a younger generation. It's got to be like Luka, Shea. Small, mar small market teams trying to retain their superstar players. Shea's another one. And it might be jumping the gun just a little bit, but all NBA first team. What the hell? He's about to get it again, probably. The next question comes from Daniel Martin. Was the cash prize enough for the in-season tournament? Clearly, the tournament was a success, but what if the teams played for a tradable chip that allows the winner to pick their playoff matchup? Would would give the contenders motivation, and if the young team won, give the asset they can hold on to. Now, the in-season tournament, I don't want to open it up again because I talked about it before. The in-season tournament so far has been an absolute win. I've en I enjoyed every single second of it. Um, I would say it was a 9.7 out of 10. My, my That 0.3 that they're missing has to do with the courts a little bit. And because a neutral site to some of them games, that it felt like a neutral site in the worst way possible. When it became a Lakers game, the fans were there because it's the Lakers, right? But that first game, the Pacers versus Bucks, two smaller market teams, it was dead. Part of that was probably because they did it a goddamn Tuesday. Uh, I'm sorry, what was it? Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. in Vegas. I've been to Vegas multiple times in my life. Multiple, multiple times. And I'm not even no partier. I ain't no clubber. You feel me? I mean, I'm... Uh, I've been to some clubs, but I'm not a clubber. You know, I feel like you can do something a certain amount of times before you get the title. Just because I draw every once in a while don't make me an artist. So I've been to a few clubs. There have been times where things do not happen until four o'clock in the afternoon because the previous night was so crazy. We're, we're in Vegas, 2 p.m. People are knocked out, hungover. You want to go to a, a basketball game where the lights is blaring and actually they were hiding things. The, the lighting in the arena was like, you're not going to see how many people in the stands. <laughs> I don't know if that was by nature or by, by uh, I don't know if that was on purpose, but they did not want you to see who was there. Anyway, uh, that would be my major gripe with things. But the question is, was the cash prize enough for the in-season tournament? I believe the half a million dollars winning is enough for the players. But how do we get the fans? I think the numbers are going to come out and they're going to say, hell yeah, the numbers were all time great because it's the only thing we can really compare it to. But compare last year, this same time ratings versus this NCAA tournament, it's going to blow it out of the water. But how do we get the fans to stay interested? Part of it is like, this is the first year we're doing it. Uh, as you know, like any YouTube series or any series of all time, or any series, TVs or whatever, the first one is probably going to do the best because everybody's interested. How do you get people to come back for episode two or year two in this one? 
And that is the thing that they're trying to figure out. They have to figure out. My boy Mike just saw his favorite team win the in-season tournament. I promise you, he, he wasn't crying because Max Christie got half a million dollars. You know, he's happy to just say that they won. But like at the end of the day, it's not, not to really incentivize him. He can talk a little bit of trash, but that's really it. I said I was in favor in order to get the fans to care more about their individual team. You have to add something new. I came up with the idea or enjoyed the idea of adding an extra lottery pick. And we're talking about the odds being so very low towards the bottom. But you've seen throughout NBA history, people jump up in the lottery. Uh, when Derrick Rose won or, or was drafted first overall, the Bulls jumped up with like a 1.7% chance. Uh, the Pelicans jumped up the year that they got Zion. The Grizzlies jumped up the year, that same very year to get John Morant. So we know with the flattened odds that anything is really possible. So if I'm a team, Let's say the Pacers win this, right? Like, you could be happy that Aaron E. Smith got half a million dollars, right? Because he's been a guy that was given away by his previous team. They were talking trash, boo, boo, boo. But if you're a Pacers fan, that's, that's really where it holds. I mean, you don't really have NBA championships. So you, you hang a banner. But what else do we, us fans, we watch this, we're happy about it. But like, get an extra lottery pick would be kind of cool. Hey. Now, if we towards the bottom of the plan, which is not the case for the for the Pacers, we don't ever have to turn the, the switch off because we know we got a guaranteed lottery pick. So let's fight for that 10 seed instead of going down like the Mavericks did last year when they were basically there. Um, you mentioned having a tradable piece. And I mean, that could be looked at the lottery pick. Having a winner pick its playoff matchup, I think it's too left field for the NBA. I personally think it would be cool. Y'all know me. I'm not an NBA purist at all. I want to see all of the things be tinkered with a little bit. I want to see if it is successful. If we were NBA purists, we would not have the in-season tournament. We would not have the playing tournament. The playing tournament has been one of the best things to happen to NBA basketball because we see 25 teams, for the most part, still competing towards the end of the season. So I'm not a purist at all. I'm okay with seeing what this is going to look like. Imagine the Lakers. Ooh, imagine the Lakers win the in-season tournament and they like, okay, let's say they end up as the overall, what, four seed. I mean, I don't know where the Lakers going to end up in the NBA standards, whatever, whatever. And they're like, okay, we want to go against this team. The feud, the rivalry, the pressure associated with that. Come on, man. You have to win that series. And if you don't, stories. And if you do, the other team like, all right, we're going to get back at y'all. We're going to win the in-season tournament next year. We're going to pick y'all. You mean, like there are a lot of storylines can come up with it. I don't hate it. Um, I think Adam Silver probably would because I think that's a little bit too left field. My guy Maurice is here. Oh, I'm sorry. Reese, Reese. I, I don't know. Can I say the government? My fault. My fault. Which middling team is in the best position to get over the hump into contention? Now, middling team at the Google. Now, I, I know what the I, I know what that means, but I didn't know what it means. You feel me? And and the team that I have here is it, I don't want them to feel disrespected by calling it a middling team because I think they're above that. But I'm just thinking middle of the pack, right? This team, as currently constructed, is not a contender, but they're in the best position to get over the hump with some adjustments. It's going to be the New York Knicks. The Knicks have very consistently over the last couple of seasons been really decent, really decent. Draft capital, young assets. Two, two stars players-ish. Julius Randle's looking better and better every single game. That like, we talk about the consolidation trade. I feel like that would help the Knicks a ton. With, with Quinn Grimes being disgruntled. With Evan Fournier being disgruntled for the next last two years or so. Like, a consolidation trade in order to get that next guy. 
goes a long way. Now, of course, there's been rumors about them looking for a superstar, but the market has not said a superstar is available. They are the team that I look at with the pieces that they have that they could put together a nice trade for a star player and still have enough depth to be competitive and compete, right? Right now, I look at the Knicks, I say, hey, that's a bona fide playoff team, but right now it's currently constructed. They have a ceiling. That ceiling could be conference finals, right? I think this. I think the talent is good enough to make it to the conference finals, but they're not a team that I believe could get over the hump to win an NBA championship just yet, but it's in them. I, I honestly, honestly do believe it is, but they just have to make the right adjustments and the right trade in order to get there. And the market is the market. So maybe that trade never happens, but that is the first thing that came to mind because again, they're really good as constructed. The next co question comes from O'Neal Cruz comeback season. You know, there's a lot of baseball talk in this episode from Cheryl Toddy to O'Neal Cruz. Um, I was watching a game live when O'Neal Cruz hurt his leg because it was against my White Sox. And I feel so bad because O'Neal Cruz was just a, a freak of nature that's fun to watch. He wasn't having a phenomenal season, but I was very, very sad that we ended that brother's uh, season. So, yeah, comeback season on the way. Hashtag AskKB. Who's at fault for the Cavs and consistency this season? Uh, I've seen a lot of, ha of fire JB and trade Spider. Oh, my God, which is crazy. But have you noticed any issues with the team? And if you do, uh, do you have any solutions? Now, I was going to do an episode. Last episode, actually, was going to be named um, uh, Most Confusing Teams in the NBA. And the Cavs were number one on my list. But the day that I was writing the script for that, Zach Lowe put out his podcast that was called Most Confusing NBA Teams. <laughs> And though I had to listen to it at that point, I was like, I can't drop an episode with the same exact premise as Zach Lowe. I'm, he's he's an op right now. We competing for the number one basketball. I'm, I'm not towards the number one spot anymore, but um, but we're competing in, in the space. So I don't want to have a whole episode that comes out the day after his. And he he actually talked about the Cavs on his. So I'm like, oh yeah, we got to scrap it. But this gives me an opportunity to talk about the Cavs like I would have in last episode. So um a few things I'm noticing. The first thing is it's not as bad as it may seem, right? They're, they're winning games as recent, 73 in their last 10. They got a big win against the Miami Heat, though the Miami Heat, of course, were sending some players. A win is a win nonetheless. The thing that bothers me the most about this Cavaliers team this season, because I'm a year removed from the honeymoon stage with them. Like when they were last year, I was like, oh man, this team is so good. They have the, the best point differential in all the association. Are they really a contender? And they shut the bid. The, the lights were too bright. So I'm like, okay. I'm not giving up on them because Evan Mobley is still one of my favorite players to watch in the association, but I'm not looking at them as like, no matter what they did this season, they could have had the highest point differential in all the basketball, the number three offense or number three defense, a top 10 offense. I'm like, ah, I'll see you in the playoffs, right? Um, this year is a little bit different. Now, part of that's because they've dealt with a ton of injuries, a ton of injuries all season long. Kara's averse out of the lineup, Donovan Mitchell out of the lineup, Darius Garns out of the lineup, started the year without Jared Allen. So it's like they have had a lack of consistency with the health. And I honestly think that's one of the main things. I know in the moment when you're watching your favorite team be unsuccessful or losing games that you think they should win because they had the one loss against the Trailblazers a couple weeks ago, you're like, damn, man, we suck. But I honestly do believe that them not being very healthy is one of the main things. Now, they do have this thing. They have a lack of scoring versatility. When you're a team that has a lack of scoring versatility, it's going to be hard to win as many games as you would want. When you don't get up a lot of threes and when you do give up a lot, give up, get up a lot of threes, you're not hitting them. It's just going to be hard to score. Right. And if it ain't one of the top two dudes, I guess Max Drew's been really good this season and they just don't shoot the ball well enough. The other teams that play this way have like 
bully, bully, bully offensive players. The Lakers have Braun and Anthony Davis. They could kind of get away with not being a high, high three-point shooter team. You don't necessarily have that with your team right now. So the fact that you aren't getting enough three-point shots up is a little bit puzzling because you have relative personnel to do it. Now, obviously, when you're running a double center lineup and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, uh, neither of those guys have been able to shoot. Uh, we just haven't seen the jump from Evan Mobley as far as his shooting stroke goes, and maybe it'll never come. I don't really know. But because you have guys at the top in Max Struess and, and uh, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and even Karis LeVert coming off the bench, George Yang, who you signed this offseason, though it's been hit or miss with him, like you would expect this team to be able to get up get up at least a decent amount of shots. And if they're not getting up the decent amount of threes, then at least make the ones that they're getting up. They're struggling there completely. So it's all at the basket. And again, they just don't have the personnel where they can turn that into a bunch of a bunch of wins. And they're playing decent basketball, but no three-point shooting or a lack of three-point shooting in 2023 is going to be the detriment to a lot of different teams. The teams you're competing with at that spot are not very good. So you want to get that. You're also not winning the solo guard minutes like you were last year. And, and I mean, like, it's one, it's Darius Garland's on the court, no Donovan Mitchell. Or it's Donovan Mitchell on the court, no Darius Garland. You're not winning those minutes at all. Both of them are in the net negative. Now, together, things are amazing, right? As long as those two guys are on the court, you're going to be a very good offensive team. You're going to be a very passable defensive team. But you can't have that for 48 minutes. So it's like, we can't keep losing the minutes with strictly Dono. We can't keep losing the minutes with strictly Darius. And I feel like it will come up at a point. But as far as them looking at them as a contender, because again, you make the trade that you did to become a contender eventually, there are ways from that. And I don't know what the answer is. Again, like you mentioned, a lot of people are saying fire JB. I'm not in the weeds enough to recognize if JB is the main problem, but maybe it is. You know, I, I was looking at the betting odds the other day. He was one of the people at the top of the list when it comes to coaches to be fired. Uh, again, I'm not in there enough to know if that's warranted or not. And the last question we have before we bring on producer Greg to give me some of his NBA hot takes is from Jesus or maybe Jesus. I don't know. I don't know him like that. Um, but he's also a saint, so it must be Jesus. Hashtag Ask KB. If every team had a camera crew with them throughout the whole season, but at the end of the year, only three teams could be released, which three are you releasing? Now, the NBA hard knocks thing is something that I've been wanting for as long as hard knocks has been around. Y'all know me. I ain't big into football. Like, I watch occasionally. I know a little bit of something, something. Like, I, I'm not completely void of NFL knowledge. But hard knocks is one of those things I'm diving into every season. You feel me? I need, I need to see hard knocks because it just adds another... Um, element to these players, right? Especially in the NFL where they don't market players very regularly. So it's like, oh, okay. That guy's a practice squad player, but I I'm kind of rooting for him for the rest of his career. Um, so I've been wanting this for the NBA for a very long time. So they said, he said, get three. A couple different ways I thought about this. I want a young, up-and-coming team. And I don't think there's going to be a more entertaining team than the OKC Thunder. Uh, obviously, they have some off-court stuff that we don't need to mention at the moment uh, in Josh Giddy. I want to see how that locker room is, specifically when that stuff was coming out. Again, we don't know, right? We don't know what's happening. I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen a report about it, but um, because we also saw when that was going down, like Chet Holmgren deleted the Instagram pictures with, with Josh Giddy, And overall, even if we get away from that, the off-court stuff, the on-court stuff is crazy. Like, Shay's a personality. Chet is a personality. J-Dub's a personality. Like, these are guys that I want to see in front of a camera full-time, especially now that they're in these close games, winning a bunch of games, one of the best scenes of basketball. Um, so I would want to see them as my first one. My second one, you have to get a bottom feeder team. You have to get one of the worst teams in basketball. 
So I'm looking across the league. It's this three, right? There's three really, 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 really bad teams. Those teams are the Wizards, the Pistons, and the Spurs, right? In their last 49 games, collectively, they have one win and they was against each other. Like, like one in 48 is ridiculous. You have to pick one of those bottom teams. So I'm like, okay, Victor Wembanyama being on the team would be kind of cool, right? Especially for the NBA's perspective, they're trying to market him anyway. Maybe see what he's like in the locker room, but they have too many vanilla guys in their roster. It's the Spurs. No, nothing ever comes out about the Spurs. They, they just always go to work. I guess at this point, lose a bunch of games, but they don't really have. Or maybe they do. Maybe they do have these personalities, but we don't really get to see them. So I kind of got rid of them. The Wizards have the personalities. Cal Kuzma and Jordan Poole are funny people. They're just funny people. Put a microphone in front of them. Something's gonna happen. So they're kind of my pick here. But the Pistons have been so bad that I actually put them priority. They've been so bad that they have to be the priority. I need to know what them locker rooms is like when you're at halftime down by 20. Or you go against a team like the Orlando Magic who are missing three starters and you still lose by 30. I need to know what the hell is being said for Monty Williams. I need to know what Trey Weaver's doing at the practice facilities just watching these players practice. I need all of that. So I'm going to go OKC. And then Detroit. And the last one, I wanted to get a team like the Lakers or the Warriors, a team with a lot of history, uh, some older guys in the league. Maybe the Warriors is the right one because <laughs> their fall for grace is kind of happening in real time right now. That I kind of want to see how they internalize that. As, as guys that have been on top of the, the basketball world for almost a decade now, or maybe about a decade now, I'm just interested to see how they personally take the idea of maybe we're just not good enough anymore. Because I'm just assuming LeBron, uh, LeBron has had a camera crew where he's gone for the past 30 years. You can't, I mean, you can't, he's going to have a crazy 20 part documentary about his life eventually. So he already got his camera crew. So those are my three. I also thought about like the wolves would be interesting. The bulls have turmoil. So maybe them, um, the wolves have Anthony Edwards. And Carthony Towns. That's not a bad pick. That's not a bad pick. It's time to introduce producer Greg to the show for his eye test takes. Greg, welcome. We'll see if the name needs to be workshopped, but that, we'll, we'll go with that for now. <laughs> the eyes, Chico. They never lie. Yeah, I think, I think it works, but we'll let the audience really decide. Okay. So, basically... I watch a lot of basketball. I don't dive too deep into the numbers. I just trust my eyes. So I want to see how you how you feel about that. So my first thing, based off the beginning parts of this season, Devin Booker is on the same exact tier as Jason Tatum. Interesting. Interesting. See, see, when, when I think about comparing NBA players, I think the eye test carries more than statistics, right? Situations are always different. I think Devin and Tatum are obviously in different situ- situations. I don't think that's that bold of a take, though. I think the one thing that Devin Booker is missing is, like, once we get to those closeout games and playoff series, he hasn't really had that one, while Tatum has had, like, a 45-piece, a 50-piece, or however many he ended up against these these 76ers. I don't think this is too wild, though, when we think about the evolution of Devin Booker as a playmaker and the evolution of Devin Booker as a defender, that they're definitely on the same tier. If I was going to pick one or the other to like start a franchise with, I'd probably go with Tatum by a small margin. But if you had Devin Booker above him, I'm not saying that that's too wild. I think the eye test does the right thing there. Zero contenders would have interest in a Klay Thompson trade. Zero contenders. 
Oh, man. I think that the name of Clay Thompson makes me believe that this, there would be, in this hypothetical world where he is on the market, there would be a team that would be interested. The problem is, once we get past this season, he's a free agent, and obviously he probably thinks he's a little bit more, worth a little bit more than what he actually is. I think that if, if he was available, a team like the Lakers is calling. A team like the Lakers is called a team with a low volume, low percentage three point shooting team. Don't look now. Clay Thompson shooting like 40 percent from three over his last like eight or nine games. Now I've been watching those games. So it doesn't feel like the number seems higher than what the production actually looks like. But I think that if he became available, there would be teams calling for better or for worse. Lastly, if there was a 2020 NBA redraft, Halliburton would go number one. Halliburton would go number one. Whoo, man, man, man. So there's, for the people at home, there's, of course, Anthony Edwards. There's the mellow ball. Those are the two people you really try, or the three people you really trying to decide between. I think maybe the ceiling of Anthony Edwards at his peak is maybe higher. And I think that's why I would still go with Ant-Man. When you think about his versatility on both sides of the ball, you see him becoming a more, a better and better playmaker. But Tyrese already is a system. And Anthony Edwards hasn't been that. And he may never be that. There's only a small percentage of players that end up being a system. I think I would still have Ant-Man 1, but I ain't mad at it, man. I'm I'm definitely not mad at it. After seeing what he has done over the last season and a half, he's an MVP candidate at the moment. And I can't say the same for Anthony Edwards right now. But I still take the upside of Ant-Man. But you're not too wild for that one. That's not too wild. I want to say thank you to everybody that submitted questions for this mailbag. Again, I want to do this like every quarter of the NBA season. But, you know, we do a little bit of Ask KB every episode. So description, I'm sorry, in the comment section on Twitter, hit a brother up. Leave a like, five stars on Spotify and Apple. All of those things go a very, very long way. And I'll see y'all in a couple days.